Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The housing minister says a record number of social houses were built last year, the highest in over 50 years. However, in a special Tonight Show report, Dara O'Brien admits that general housing targets will need to be revised upwards to meet population growth. Look, when the SRI produce their, their research, we'll assess that very seriously. We will, you know, I would say by the end of quarter two this year, come back with revised targets. Also on the programme, a leading Irish detective on the shortcomings of the Sophie Toscan Duplantier murder investigation and why there is still time for closure. Plus, it's Trump versus Haley as Republicans head to the polls for the New Hampshire primary. The Minister for Housing claims his department is exceeding its current targets and says the state is now the biggest actor in home building. Speaking to Virgin Media in a special report, Dara O'Brien says new figures out later this week will reveal that a record number of social houses were built last year, the highest in over 50 years. However, he tells economics correspondent Paul Colgan that the government will likely have to revise its housing targets over the coming months with a leading think tank due to recommend a significant increase in output. The next election is still likely to be fought over housing. The minister responsible today saying that when the figures are published later this week, 2023 will have proven to be a record year. I'm quite confident that we will have significantly uh, overachieved and exceeded our target. We will again have delivered a record number of social housing new bills and new social homes full stop, uh, more than we've done in over 50 years. Is there not a sense, however, that you're, you're running to stand still? The ESRI in a couple of months' time are going to say that you need to build way, way more houses, that your targets are too low. How do you deliver on that? When the ESRI produce their, their research, we'll assess that very seriously. We will, you know, I would say by the end of quarter two this year, come back with the revised targets. Homes built last year will likely top 32,000, but the ESRI will recommend a new target in excess of 50,000 per year. In a tight market, Dara O'Brien has faced claims his efforts to prevent vulture funds from hoovering up new homes have failed, that the 10% stamp duty levy hasn't worked. Why was it set at 10% in the first instance? If you wanted to eliminate that sort of bulk bang, would it not have been as simple to apply a 100% stamp duty if you really wanted to, to prevent it from happening? What we're seeing now is some legacy issues, because I couldn't change planning retrospectively. If a permission was given before I brought in the change and before I was minister, that planning permission is valid. So we've fixed it from 2021 going forward. What we're seeing is a small percentage of houses still being purchased that predated that. And that's why the Department of Finance brought in that 10% levy. We probably have just short about 1,100 homes in that period 
uh, have been purchased out of an overall uh, property transactions of about 125,000, so less than 1%. And in fairness, when we, when we brought the 10% stamp duty in, we actually said we would keep that under review and we will. The minister argues that instead of increasing their footprint in Ireland's private sector, the big institutional players have been replaced by the state as the largest builder of homes. If you look at new institutional investment in rental property is practically gone. Like we're actually now starting apartment developments that would have potentially been identified for the institutional investor, doing them through our approved housing bodies like building them through our cost rental scheme and our affordable housing scheme. The state is actually the lead actor in, in housing now. Like uh, between 40 and 50% of the homes that we deliver are backed by the state. Yet house prices and rents continue to rise. Measures to assist home buyers chase those prices, such as the help to buy scheme, have been criticised as potentially making house price inflation worse. Mr O'Brien denies that this has been the case. Would it not be better if people didn't need those kind of things? Would you not rather see house prices coming down? Well, I think, I think what it is, look, I've, firstly, we're delivering homes to our local authorities as well um, for affordable purchase. In my own area, in Fingal, houses from 166,000. People look at the average, and the average is, is, is always quoted. The average, we will have house prices below that and above it, and different types of houses that are there. I think supply helps in that space. You know, I've heard the, the argument make, made about, you know, dropping all house prices in Dublin, for argument's sake, to 300,000. That was a big statement made by Mary Lou MacDonald, backed by nothing. I've asked since, how are you going to do that, uh, you know, in the absence of a crash? And then how long would it take? And I've had absolute silence. What I want to do is to make sure that people can buy homes that are affordable to them on the incomes that they have. And then there is the rental market itself. Much recent coverage focusing on what are known as rogue landlords. Uh, I've doubled the amount of staff and investment in the RTB um, and these things shouldn't happen. But where a landlord and where we've rogue landlords who are breaking the law, they should be prosecuted to the fullness of the law. Uh, and that needs to happen. And those who are impacted by that need the support of the state. Um, and, and they will get it. Was Dara O'Brien speaking to our economics correspondent Paul Colgan. So is the ambition there to address a crisis that will likely define this year's elections? Well, for more on this, we're joined by Fine Gael Minister of State Hildegard Nocton, Sinn Féin TD and spokesperson on housing Owen O'Brien, Leisha Nealan, reporter with Dublin Inquirer, and by the Currencies Finance Editor Sean Keyes. We'll also be running a live interactive poll. Tonight we're asking, are government social housing targets ambitious enough? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code on screen. All right. Um, there's a lot to unpack there in that particular um, interview with uh, Dara O'Brien, Owen O'Brien. But let's talk first about these 2023 social and affordable targets. There has been criticism of the government that they won't reach those targets and that they haven't reached social and affordable housing targets to date. He's saying the highest number of social homes um, has been built in, in 50 years in 2023. Uh, you had reservations as a party on the government reaching this target. Dara Bryan says they've done it. In fact, they've exceeded it. Well, he said the last, same thing last year and it wasn't true. So first of all, I'd like him to publish the figures. My strong expectation is, first of all, he will fall very, very short 
of his affordable home targets, both affordable purchase and affordable rental, as he did every other year since he's been minister. And I also don't believe he will meet his new build social housing targets. I think he'll get closer to it last year than he did before. But those targets uh, are so nowhere close to what's required. So you think he's wrong on that? He's looking to publish them this week, you think? Yeah, you so think we, we, we had this row with... He'll be going with, back on his word. We had this row with Dara last year and the year before, and what he does is when he eventually presents the final figures, he tries to muddy the waters. Obviously, when we see the figures, we can judge them. But on the basis of all of the information we have, crucially affordable purchase and affordable cost rental, they won't be met. Uh, and I strongly suspect the 9,100 new-built social homes won't be met. That's why homelessness is increasing. That's why rents are increasing. That's why house prices are increasing. And even if he meets the target, that target is universally accepted as being nowhere close enough. Not just his social targets or his affordable targets, the macro targets of public and private sector delivery underpinning his plan have been criticised by opposition, by the private sector, by housing policy analysts, by homeless charities from the very start. So even if he does meet the targets, which I don't believe he will, it's not going to have the impact he says because his targets are simply far, far too low. All right, OK. Um, Hildegard, just to get your response to, to that, what Owen is saying is even if the targets are met and he's cynical as to whether or not they, they will be met when they're published this week, it doesn't nearly go far enough. There's also, of course, the, the shortfall in social housing in 2020, 2021 and 2022. Um, some 8,000 or so homes, you know, below target on the social and affordable um, targets that were set for those years. Well, first of all, we in Fine Gael believe in home ownership and our view is that people in their 20s and their 30s uh, need to have the chance to own their own home if that's what they want. Mm -hmm. Today we see 600 people every single week with the keys of their own home, their first home that they walk into, and that is progress. It's moving in the right direction. We're spending over um, five billion euro into an, the housing for all plan. Do we need to do more? Yes. Uh, in relation to targets, and we heard the minister saying that we'll be looking at revising those targets, pending on the ESRI report. But we also have to be uh, realistic and be truthful around what we're doing here. If we want to increase the targets, we have to make sure we're going to meet them, and that means expanding capacity which we have done. We have 30,000 more construction workers in the state since before the pandemic. We are ramping up apprenticeships. So it's all very well to say that, you know, we need higher targets. Uh, we'd, we'd love to, you know, pick a higher number, a target. Uh, that would be... A, well, if the that, ESRI comes out with a figure that you need to build 50,000 homes um, a year, then, then, you know, we, we've heard from the minister there that he will be come back with revised targets. Yeah, but we also have to make sure that we can meet them. And, and just in, in relation to the current targets, it's not a ceiling. What we want to do is surpass them. But we have to make sure that we have the builders out there. And if there's a builder sitting here at home listening to this who wants a job and who needs it, I don't think there's anybody out there in the construction sector who's out of work. But we need to make sure that we're training them through apprenticeships, which we're doing through Minister Simon Harris, and increasing the construction sector. And just finally... The, the, the proof of the pudding is that in relation to other EU countries, uh, Ireland is the fastest growing, uh, has the fastest growing construction sector in the right. EU, which Just shows what we're doing <coughs> in increasing capacity and moving in the right direction. Okay. You may have got away from the social and affordable housing targets because it's at this very juncture that people say, look, you really, you, you've got the HAP system that's broken. You have, you know, 58,000 people on social housing lists and there is, a, there is a huge shortage of this type of housing. 
yeah, we do want you to, need to ramp up those targets and quickly? We need all kinds of housing, uh, social, affordable housing, and we're doing that. In 2022, uh, we had 10,000 social houses, and that was the highest number since 1975. In relation to affordable housing, yes, we want to uh, ramp that up, and we're doing affordable housing through the, the um, helping people with a deposit up to €30,000 of your own money, putting €30,000 of your hard-earned tax back in your pocket. That's making homes affordable for those people, young people mainly, who want to own their own home. Uh, as well, the Housing First policy, which Sinn Féin have um, voted down uh, also. They, they do not believe in home ownership. And this is making homes more affordable. So we talk about social housing. It's moving in the right direction. We are creating and, right. and building okay. more than we have previously. And we will be doing the same in relation to affordable housing. Uh, just brief, briefly, Owen, on that. You're, you're shaking your head uh, around, I suppose, what the, 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 the measures that the government has introduced to help people own a home and buy a home. Two, Are you so two, opposed two, to that? Two quick responses. Uh, Fine Gael have been in government for 12 years, supported by Fianna Fáil for seven. Uh, during that period of time, two things have happened. Home ownership as a percentage of the overall housing stock, but also new home ownership for younger people has declined uh, uh, year on year. Homelessness during that same period, homelessness during that same period uh, has reached epidemic proportions. Since your party has been in government, child homelessness has increased 500%. We have now 4,000 children in emergency accommodation. House prices are higher okay. than so they've ever been before. Rents higher than they've ever been before. And the government are missing the social affordable housing okay. targets. You hear Things Dara are getting worse. Oh, when you hear Dara Brown saying that the state is now the main actor in housing, I mean, that's what, that's what Sinn Féin would want. That there is that state intervention and that they are the problem, building though. between 40 minister, and 50% of homes. The minister comes on and says these things, right? If you actually look at the data from the CSO, for example, for 2022, of the just shy of 30,000 homes, the state was responsible for directly delivering just 2,000 of them. Even where the state is acquiring homes through turnkeys, through AHBs and local authorities, they're acquiring less than real estate investment trusts and institutional investors. So the minister simply is wrong to say the state is the biggest builder. It's not even the biggest acquirer of homes. And yet the minister comes on we and are. says these Between things that are simply not True. The Between figures 40, don't support that. I, I'm telling you the facts, Owen. Between 40 and 50% of our um, housing sector is backed by government. So, so hang on a second. And, but and just, truth, just listen to what you've just said. Just no, just what can, you said. Can, can, the minister said... No, the minister said... Approved housing bodies, LDA, local authorities... Oh, peep, the 600 people who are walking into their homes every single week, this is because of, of, of the government helping them with deposits, people owning their home, right. which Sinn Féin do not believe in. Okay. They don't simply, even have a policy. Can I ask, can I ask oh, how your okay. housing policy is? Absolutely. They, they, you, you promised a plan. This is your one-year anniversary, uh, Owen, in relation true, to saying that you, okay. did, you right. didn't even finish what I'm, what I'm going to say. Me, no, because they have, you just said you announced the that you announced points that Dara last, made in the debate sorry, now, today. We published more housing policy than own last year, 2023 in January, announced that he was that going to... True. That is not true. That's not true. You what you're saying is, you it's exactly, it's Sorry, exactly Claire, what Dara O'Brien said on the floor of the door today. Where is your housing plan? Your point. My, and then my, you my can't defend your own housing policy. He knows what I'm going to say. So you misrepresent Dara. You know what I'm going to say. I'll get to the point. You know what I'm going to say, so you don't want to say it. And I know it's untrue. 
what you, you announced that you're going to produce a housing plan in 2023 in January. True. We're now 2023, uh, sorry, 2024, a year later, and there is no Claire. sign of the right. Sinn Féin Very housing plan. Okay. So Very come clean, Sinn Féin, come first clean. Of you an opportunity on what are your plans? Briefly, because because I want all you can do is criticise. First of all, I have published more detailed housing policy. No I have published more detailed housing policy and legislation than anyone in opposition uh, and more. They are on our website, our affordable housing oh, plan, no. detailed policy documents. Okay. I, I'm sorry. All, right. All of our policies are published. I want to, and I want to get but, the rest but clear, of my panel in. But clear, here's the point. Fine Gael cannot defend their failure in housing, so they misrepresent the opposition. The figures speak for themselves. Right. Look at child homelessness. Look okay. at pension homelessness. All right. want, Look at the damage I, I, you I are doing like to hard-working families the who can't put an affordable roof over their heads. stop you there. Sean, just to bring you in on this, what we're hearing from the ESRI when we're talking about uh, projections and population growth and what we actually need in terms of housing supply in this country. They're talking about 50,000 a year. We're currently averaging about 30,000 a year in terms of um, housing supply. Uh, can they possibly deliver on revised targets? Well, you have to start with the target um, because that's what's required. Um, it, it's possible to do this. You know, countries have grown this fast. Countries have like grown at this this extraordinary rate. They've built new cities and they've raised, kept their living standards up while they're doing it. But it doesn't just happen. You know, it's very complex. You need to build infrastructure. You need to build um, motorways, under uh, trains, the whole system. So, and it's a very it's a it's a big lift. It draws on all aspects of society. Um, mm. And I think the first step to getting there is to is admitting that that's what we're, that's what's required. And I think with, with with Irish housing, you know, we've we've gone from you know building very little to building about thirty thousand homes per year, and it's been like pulling teeth. We've all been around for it, but I think like that's this is probably the easy part, because we've what we've done so far is we've used up the best sites. Um, we've start you know we've you begin and and, and we've sort of planned on the basis of just getting to this sort of this level where we are now of right. thirty thousand per year. What we actually need to do is nearly nearly double that level, and that's nearly at the level of building a new Cork city every year. Yeah. And we heard from the Land Development Agency in front of the Oireachtas Committee today, didn't we, that it's a challenge to find these sites to develop on as well. They say they're aiming to deliver 14,000 new social and affordable homes over uh, the next four years, some of them being direct bills themselves. But there will be a challenge to build on that number. Would you? Is that what you're, you're suggesting, given well, that to date the land has been there and, look, it's, it's ripe pickings and it's right. time to build, but it's going to be more challenging right. now. North Docklands, perfect. Cherrywood, perfect. Now, now we've got to hit 50,000 per year. Again, that's a new Cork City every year. And that, so to, to, to do that, thinking that through for decade on decade on decade, you're going to have to extend our cities in a very dramatic way. That's, that's a huge project, you know, and that's Too big an ask. Well, no, it's not too. Well, it's, 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 it, it is maybe it's, it's too big an ask, but it's something yeah. that we have to see. We have to also take it seriously. And I think so far the, the debate has been very fo focused on the, the allocation and are we hitting? Mm. Are we at twenty five yet? Are we at thirty yet? And it's like we need to start thinking much, much bigger. Mm. We've got to get to like fifty thousand per year forever, essentially. What would we need to do to achieve that? Yeah, Leisha, it sounds like a, a huge task. In fact, when you talk about all what's needed when you build all the new homes is the services that go with it, the infrastructure, the transport links and all of that. Um, even if the homes are built, the question is, are they affordable? Yeah, I think the question is affordability and it kind of escapes us. Sometimes we think, oh, if we build enough homes, it'll be grand. 
at the moment, there is a good bit of building going on and I think people see that and they see the cranes, but the problem is it's not trickling down um, to the ordinary people because it's just not affordable. They can't afford what is being built. They can't afford to rent it and they can't afford to buy it. And there are brilliant schemes. People are using the government schemes to get on the property ladder, definitely. And there is homeowners buying homes. But if you look at the likes of homeless people or the social housing lists, those policies aren't trickling down. Social housing supply would need to be ramped up massively to alleviate homelessness, which is continuing to get worse. And like, at the moment, people are being refused emergency accommodation. The homeless crisis has never been like this. People are going and presenting to their council and just being told, no, you've got to go and um, find somewhere else to stay. We have no emergency accommodation. And I think there's a backlog of people who are living in overcrowding as well now. In the working class states in Dublin, there's so much overcrowding. And that's, that's, so there's so much pent up demand for social housing. It's hard to imagine a time when that can be reached and not with the current targets at all. Yeah. Not in Dublin, not with the way that... So the question is, and, and, and if, if you believe what the government has to say and that they're pulling out all the stops here and they're due to, you know, the social housing, they're due to beat their targets and exceed them what they established last year. So they're doing as much as they can. Mm. Would you agree with that, Leisha? Are they building the, the, wrong, the wrong kinds of developments or, or pro, you know, supporting and promoting the wrong kinds. And, and obviously, look, the, the, the private developer question comes in, in here as well and, and the, the for-profit, I suppose, bills. Yeah, the Dublin City Council has definitely ramped up its construction pipeline for social housing. So they're building a lot more now than they were a few years ago. Fingal County Council then, when you look at the other councils in the Dublin area, it's not so impressive. Mm. They're not building a huge amount of homes directly themselves and... Um, then you've also got the... And why the, is that? I mean, you, you know, if Dublin City Council can do it and if some other local, rural, local authorities can do it, you do have to ask okay. the question what's well, going on there. Why do you think that is? Is there a hold-up at council level or red tape or what is it that's stopping it? From your government perspective, yes, you'll think of all sorts of, you know, affordability issues, but those key areas around waiting lists and the record homeless figures we have, you know, supplying homes at the, the social housing level would be something that would, would, would surely help your housing for all policy. Yeah, no, I know Minister O'Brien, he, he's in regular contact with all the local authorities, so they have a role to play here as well. And many of them are providing schemes in relation to social and affordable housing, as well as the LDA. Um, just in relation to homelessness, and this is obviously a really uh, pressing issue, but I think it's important to put perspective on it as well, um, that the government and Minister O'Brien has, and with all the NGOs right across the country, we have um, helped 21,000 people to either come out of emergency uh, accommodation or prevent them from going in to emergency accommodation. And that's... That I, know, I, know more I know more people are, are coming into, into mm. the into the homeless uh, space all the time as well. But it's not, I suppose, the same people. And there's fantastic work happening across the country. But as part of that solution, as so well as... it would be far part, worse, but we're still at a state part, that... Part it's, of the solution we're at a, in relation to homelessness... We're at a record level of homelessness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's increasing supply. But also the issue around homelessness is far more complex yeah. as well. And they need more wraparound supports, yeah. which we are providing, and indeed in my own, in my right. own department as well. Okay. But it's important to say that we are... Look, we're by no way finished. This is being ramped up hugely. Affordable... Um, okay. social housing, cost right. rental, and we will continue to do that. And I think that's the message and for people listening who want to get on that property ladder to be part of those 600 every week walking into their own yeah, home. I, I, we want to okay. increase that. I, I just want to bring um, in a story in a 
survey um, that came out today by the Society of Chartered Surveyors about if you look at the affordability gap that's there and those who, you know, who can't avail of social and affordable housing, maybe. Like, I'm not sure in the case, this, this particular case study, but they gave the example of a guard. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And a nurse with 10 years experience earning €89,000 who cannot afford an average three-bed semi-detached house in the greater Dublin area. I mean, we're still at a point that when you see that figure now in 2024, the housing for all policy is failing for many. No, it's not failing. What we're doing is we're in ramping up the supply. So we're moving in the right direction. We're throwing absolutely everything okay. at this. And when you see the figures in relation to uh, social housing, okay. higher but than it was since 1975, it's not perfect. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that we're moving, the momentum is happening. Okay. The construction sector is really ramping up. Right. And we need to make sure we have the capacity. It's not just about setting a target and pulling it out of the air that, like opposition does. It's making sure that we have the capacity, the workers, the apprentices and Let's everything talk. to move into Let's talk about because I mentioned there the, a garden a nurse and you would never I don't know decades ago have imagined that you'd be in this situation that they wouldn't be able to afford to live in you know a modest three bed home in the greater Dublin area but that's the situation we're at now is there a fresh think in what we do own around supplying key workers with homes Yes, yeah, so two things. So the first thing is, for example, that nurse and guard are, are strictly speaking eligible for government affordable housing schemes. But if you go across the, the M50 to my constituency here, South Dublin County Council under uh, the government's affordable housing uh, fund scheme are delivering three bed affordable homes that all in cost is over €400,000. If you look at, again, in my own constituency in the, in the LDA, they've acquired units from Cairn in, in City West uh, and the uh, rent uh, on the so-called affordable cost rentals uh, uh, means you would need to have an income under the LDA and government's rules of 72,000 gross for a one bed and 100 grand gross for one of the three beds. So even the government's affordable housing schemes are way, way overpriced. So first of all, we need to change those schemes. And it's well, not just opposition. You need opposition. to extend the eligibility around it. No, the, the income eligibility actually isn't the problem at the moment on those schemes. It's the cost of delivering but the they say they cost that much to deliver. That, that, here's what's that, really interesting. So how do you, Go, how do you deliver, take, take how the, do you deliver take, it at a cheaper level? Take the SCSI, uh, Society of Chartered Surveyors report that's referred to today, uh, uh, and €460,000 mm. all in development price on a private sector home. Uh, the reality is only half of that is the construction cost. Uh, and if government were have to take not just our advice, but the advice of a whole raft of policy experts over the last five years, you could deliver large volumes of really good quality homes on public sites to rent and to buy at dramatically reduced okay. prices. Sean, you wanted to come in on that. Just is it quick, possible? Uh, just quickly, a, a way that we sort of hold ourselves back in Dublin, particularly 
Um, the National Planning Framework is a, it's a document that determines how, um, how planning is done all around the country. One of its goals is to intentionally limit the growth of Dublin relative to other parts of the country. So it, it's, it, it filters down to local authority plans and the number of planning permissions, the number of homes that are built. It's right there and it's, it's, it's official government policy. Although, can, can I say I just... this though? In, again, if you look at the Dublin local authorities, the actual amount of zoned land and active planning permissions that are there now is way, way in excess of what's needed over the next uh, number of years. And outside of Dublin, because mm. again, because of bad government policy, builders can't build anything. The cost of finance is too high uh, 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 and the nature of the planning system is simply too clunky. So to say you're making progress when homes on the affordable time. side... Homes, homes on the affordable side. Do we need to, to chuck more state money at it, Hildegard? Can I just say, planning permissions are up, commencements are up, home first home buyers are up. And in relation to Sinn Fein's uh, suggestion around uh, saying that the, house, the price of a house could be three hundred thousand, you had the CEO of the Land Development Agency in the committee today. My colleague John Cummins asked the CEO, "Is it possible to build uh, uh, homes for three hundred thousand?" He said, "The CEO of the LDA said, even if you take away the uh, cost of the land." Uh, it would still be 470,000. That's in Shangana. So that really right. just shows up the policy coming forward, which we haven't seen you know from Sinn Féin, we, we which have is to just... Take a break. But then yet, at the minister... The, at the, at the minister, in the sky. The minister, the the minister, the minister in his own interview said you could do it. The minister has said you could do it. You just choose not to. All right, we're going to come back to it after the break. Coming up more on this, um, on the government's housing targets and on vulture funds, if we get a chance to talk about them. Plus, we talk to the former detective who believes it's not too late to crack the Duplantier murder case. Do stay with us. Welcome back. I'm still here with my panel, Hildegard Nocton, Ono Brin, Leisha Nealon and Sean Keyes. And we've been talking about housing and targets. Um, the assertion made by Mary Lou MacDonald that um, you could uh, get a house for 300,000 or that would be the aim to get house prices down to 300,000 euro. Um, are you still standing by that? Is the party still standing over that one? Uh, absolutely. And two things that need to happen. First of all, we need far greater investment in the direct delivery of genuinely affordable homes for working people. On public land, the price is well below 300,000. And we also need a new set of activation measures to work with the private residential development sector to bring down their costs. It is possible to do okay. that. Fine Gael doesn't want to do it, nor does Fine you believe it's, but it can be done. You do believe, you believe it's possible to be done. Um, we're just going to bring you the result of our online poll tonight, which asked the question, um, are the government's social housing targets ambitious enough? Well, 86% of you said no, they're not. And 14% said yes, uh, they were. So there is where... Um, that uh, poll has it. I just want to come to the subject of that's been very much in the news, Leisha, around uh, vulture funds or investment funds. We were again hearing um, from government, from Dara O'Brien, that 1,100 homes were acquired by investment funds and that represents less than 1% of the overall number of new homes on the market. So that it's a, it's a drop in the ocean, really. Um, you know, what would you say to that? Is it a big concern for people? And do you think it is, you know, eating, I suppose, um, reflecting this fear that people have that they'll, they'll never be able to get a home of their own? Yeah, because most of most of what's coming onto the market in the Dublin region will be developed as built rent originally. So it won't necessarily be bought by an investor fund. It'll go in for planning originally as, an, as a built rent scheme. 
So that's why you're not seeing homes coming on for sale. The new built homes mm -hmm. that are coming on for sale are outside Dublin, in the Dublin region. I mean, the Chief Executive of Dublin City Council said in 2020 that 82% of planning applications were for built rent. And this is now more talking about apartments. Um, These are apartments. Rather than, I suppose, funds swooping into new homes and estates. Yes, It's the whole build to rent model. It's the build to rent model is the reason why you're not seeing those homes, new built homes coming up for sale in the Dublin region in the way that you are in other places around the country. OK. Um, Sean, what, um, we heard then the housing minister on this, that if you have the, the, the state being the, the main building uh, contractor here, that in fact they are now you know, actively engaged in apartment building. I think he was uh, pointing to that. Yeah. Um, will that change the model that's there around build to rent or will it make it affordable for these studio apartments which you're currently seeing it'll very be, high rental prices for? It'll be a big change, yeah. I mean... I mean, Bill Torrent has got few friends, um, but it is, I think, in its heyday... It's a friend of yours. It's from a friend of, I'm a friend of Capital. In its heyday, uh, no, the Bill Torrent, and all jokes aside, in its heyday, the Bill Torrent scheme, Bill Torrent sort of sector was delivering mm -hmm. about 5,000, 6,000 units in Dublin City, which is pretty much the only part of the Irish housing system that over-delivered in the last couple of years. And I would just say one thing as well. So people focus on the funders and the owners. Mm -hmm. but I think that the... The group, probably of, of all the, there's a lot of struggling groups in Irish housing, but one of the most, uh, one of the groups under the most pressure are probably private sector renters. Um, there's massive shortages. Um, it's just, it's a very, very tight space and it's very unaffordable in that, in that particular area. Sorry, not to be, there's, a, obviously, not to, there's obviously a hierarchy. But, um, but I think, yeah, I think that the, the conversation is always focused around taking houses out of the, out of the, private, the um, out of the, to, to buy a sector and moving into the private rental sector as though that's um, a problem for the country. But I mean, it, it's literally, it's just, it, we have a, a greater shortage of rental homes than almost any other category right. of homes. Even if they come at a price. Uh, but lots uh, of those, the thing is, lots of those renters are the people who want to be homeowners. So if you don't start bringing on the stock that they can buy, you'll continue to have more crisis in the rental sector. So you have to do both. Uh, but also our, our housing system isn't served in any way if certain categories of funds can buy up, for example, houses and duplexes mm. and rent them out for 3,000 euros a month. And again, the minister's wrong. Pierce Doherty revealed on the floor of the door today new figures from the CSO to show that, in fact, institutional investors buying up houses and duplexes can be as high as 10% of the new build output and heavily concentrated in certain parts of Dublin and the commuter right. belt. And the worst thing is, Fine Gael actually agrees with us on this. No, they we, said, we, we they said they wanted, they said, and it's, and it's increased since then. They said they wanted to stamp... No, they said they wanted to stamp this out. They said they were going to raise yeah, we stamp well, duty. Well, it represents 1% of the overall market. Is, no, is that close to stamping it out? Is no, that, because, because that it's, far it's, enough? it's as much as 10%... It's a legacy. Of, it's as much as 10% of the new build market. But if Fine Gael want to stamp it out, it's we very simple. We want people to own their own homes. If, if, we don't want institutional investors coming in. We brought, them buy we properties and rent them out for three thousand euros. Why don't you raise the stamp duty? Why don't you stamp this out once and, and for all? And that one percent, Why? Because you don't need if you let me answer. Let Hildegard answer. answer. Don't, he doesn't even want to hear the answer. I heard the, the, it all the, from well, Dara O'Brien today. Let's let the audience, stamp, let's let the viewers, stamp it out. Let raise the stamp duty. Let's stop. You don't believe in home ownership. I absolutely do. You don't have your housing plan. Still haven't seen it a year later. You can't defend your own policy. Come clean. You're in government, you're responsible for the mess. Thank you both. We're out of time.
um, on that one for now. Thank you. Um, now, moving on to another story um, that, of course, has been in the headlines, and that's the funeral service of Ian Bailey, which took place earlier today. The 66-year-old who died of a suspected heart attack was cremated after a private service in Cork, where Bailey had been twice arrested on suspicion of murdering Sophie Toscan de Plantier at her West Cork holiday home in December of 1996, but always denied any involvement in her death. Well, one former leading investigator has said that the case is very solvable and that it's not too late to achieve closure. Detective Inspector Pat Murray was centrally involved in solving high-profile cases and bringing to justice such figures as Joe O'Reilly, found guilty of murdering his wife Rachel in 2004, Aaron Brady for the 2013 murder of Adrian Donoghue and Anthony Lamb for the 2005 murder of Irene White. Well, I began by asking him when I talked to him just before we came on air what he saw as the key flaws in the original investigation of Sophie Duplantier's murder. Well, I think one of the major uh, food paths was the fact that Ian Bailey got into the scene and got into the body uh, while it was being preserved, which was gave him then legitimate access to that body if uh, DNA evidence came into play in the trial or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it was negatized by the fact that he got into the, the, the scene. That was a huge... Um, uh, a few, a few, a huge disappointment, you know. Uh, but however, I think today, if the same crime happened today, the guards are a lot more aware of preserving scenes. And I know myself, I introduced a crime scene log at any of the crimes I investigated. So the person, persons of the guards in uh, preserving the scenes had a document to read to show what their functions were while at a crime scene. So uh, things have improved over the years, yes. And uh, I think there would be a different approach now to a crime scene and there would be a lot, the guards would be aware of uh, contamination and all that, you know, so. Uh, Pat, do you believe that a new team of detectives uh, should be created to carry out a fresh investigation? What's happening now is a cold case review of the evidence. Uh, why do you favour this uh, over the cold case review? I always said, and it's my opinion, it's not a guard opinion, it's my opinion as an investigator, and given all the debacle that was going on in respect of uh, Madame Toscan de Plantier's murder and Ian Bailey being pointed at every day, uh, it would have been, I think, in fairness to Ian Bailey, uh, in fairness to the Irish public, to the people around uh, Skull, uh, and uh, to, let's say, show that the Gardaí have a professional and a very professional body of investigators that can bring cases to a conclusion that it would have been best to uh, set aside six or eight detectives who weren't involved in the case with a senior investigating officer to start off from scratch and to see what they came up with. And I think, I think that would have been in my opinion, a better approach than, let's say, picking and pulling at what has been there already. So, look, it's just my opinion. And I think Ian Bailey, in all fairness, I know he was, uh, like, never charged or anything, but in fairness to him, uh, I think it would have been the best approach. And I think uh, the public might have appreciated it a bit more. And I feel that the guards would have... Um, 
maybe redeemed their name a little bit oh, because right. I don't think they came out with any uh, gold roses out of it, uh, the initial investigation. Yeah. Can, can I ask you, though, with that in mind, that you believe that it should have been a fresh team of detectives and, and, and cleaning the slate and starting afresh on, on the whole murder investigation. Is that possible at this point, uh, given the death of the, the self-confessed chief suspect in the case? Well, put it this way. In every murder investigation, you have people, persons of interest. When you have the persons of interest narrowed down and there is one suspect, well, that's the person you're then focusing on. And like it would appear, or maybe like I'm not sure because I don't know about the investigation, but it would appear that Ian Bailey was uh, a clear uh, suspect. So they have to look at what evidence they had then and has anyone else come forward in the meantime? Or can they progress or, let's say, uh, develop other evidence that uh, mightn't have been thought of at the time? Like, just for instance, now I know he got in at the scene and he got in at the at the body, but uh, if his DNA turned up on, let's say, the back of her, if she was lying face up and DNA was on the back of her blouse or whatever, how did he get to put his hand on her blouse or whatever, like, you know, so there may be other ways of developing DNA at this stage. Yeah, I don't know. But like it, it, yeah, but it would be possible now, yes. And uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, the Gardaí will represent to the DPP that new evidence, and I don't know what they have, but uh, if they had um, progressed what they had and maybe... Uh, were able to, in a more sure-footed position to um, ask the DPP to bring charges against Ian Bailey. Well, that's probably what they would do at this stage. All right. Um, now, we, we, we do understand, Pat, that the case file will be sent to the DPP for a final determination when they've gathered that evidence that you're talking about, perhaps new evidence um, there that could be you know, critical to their case. Is there any real closure when a suspect can't be tried? Yes, well, the DPP will look at the file and he will make up his mind uh, in respect of if a charge could be brought here or not. But given the fact that the suspect is dead, uh, that's the end of the matter and he won't be progressing, the matter will not be progressing any further. But I think if if he's able to, if they're able to say there's a prima facie case here for a suspect or a person named, well, that would, I think, bring some sort of closure to the family to sort of say, well, look at, yes, the guardie got to the bottom of it. There would have been a charge there, but unfortunately the, 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 the suspect is dead now, you know? So I think it would bring a little bit of closure to the, to the, the Plantier family, you know? That was Pat Murray, a former detective inspector, speaking to me shortly before we went on air. And Pat's new book, which he co-wrote with Robin Schiller, Murder at Lordship, Inside the Hunt for a Detective's Killer, will be released uh, this May. Time to take a break now. Coming up next, though, it's Trump versus Haley as polls open in the New Hampshire primary.
Welcome back. And then there were two. Donald Trump and Nikki Haley are going head to head in the New Hampshire primary as Republican voters search for their nominee to take on Joe Biden in the presidential election later this year. Well, I'm joined live now by correspondent Kate Fisher in New Hampshire because, of course, voting is taking place in the New Hampshire primary. Um, what's voter turnout like so far, Kate? And you know, where do voters feel the momentum is with when, you, when we talk about Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, who, of course, is fighting um, for everything to stay on in this campaign? That's right. Well, we have just an hour or so until the polls close here. And what we're getting a sense of is that voter turnout has actually been higher than expected. It's all fairly anecdotal at the moment, but individual polling stations saying they're seeing more people than they expected. Certainly, I was at a polling station this morning and it was brisk. People were coming in and out for uh, the three hours or so that I was there. And there had been talk that perhaps uh, there wouldn't be as many people because there is a sense that it's not quite as exciting as a New Hampshire primary usually is. There's usually more candidates at this time. There are usually signs everywhere. Uh, it feels a little bit more subdued, but anecdotally we're hearing that turnout does appear to have been pretty good and it is not as cold as it usually is. I can tell you it is still cold, but not as bad as it as certainly as Iowa was. And the weather today has been clear, no snow or rain. So, yeah, we are thinking turnout could be higher and that will serve Nikki Haley well because she needs um, people who aren't Trump supporters to get out and vote for her and there are fewer of them available. Uh, she's trying to focus on those independent voters here in the state of New Hampshire. There are many of them here uh, and that is why this is the state that she has been most competitive against Donald Trump it, because there are so many independents. Ron DeSantis, of course, bowed out. Um, now, Nikki Haley... Um, the question is, is this ultimately critical to, um, you know, her future pursuit to be a candidate uh, to run for the White House? This a win in New Hampshire being all important, but without it, uh, is she gone? Absolutely. A win here is critical for Nikki Haley. Without it, uh, she's going to struggle to get much further in this contest. If she came a very strong second, that would probably give her the momentum to keep on going to propel her forward because there's this huge gap in the polls between her and Donald Trump. The, the, the last poll before voting began, there was a 22 percentage point gap, 60% for Donald Trump, 38% for Nikki Haley. That is a mountain to climb for her. But uh, pollsters, of course, aren't always right. And polls aren't voters, as people keep telling me, uh, well, from the Nikki Haley count, that that is. So there could be an upset, but at the at the very least, she needs to come a very strong second to keep kind of in the race here. Uh, and she is confident that she's going to do that. Her campaign saying that that is what um, uh, that she will keep going, whatever the result. She believes she's going to do well, and she's talking about heading to South Carolina next month, which is her home state, uh, the, the, the primary there at the end of the month, and she's talking very confidently about doing that. Um, but if she doesn't do as well as she's hoping, it's going to be much harder for her to keep going, to keep getting those donations in, to keep her campaign alive and keep paying all, for all those adverts. So um, this is kind of make or break for Nikki Haley. If she can have a strong showing, she still has a chance of threatening Donald Trump. If not, this is kind of 
Donald Trump's, um, it could be, you know, the big exclamation point on the end of his um, uh, primary contest. If he wins by a big margin, he's kind of probably got this sewn up. Okay, well, that was uh, my final question of what, of course, does a resounding win mean for Donald Trump? Um, a step closer to the White House, uh, I presume. So there we'll have to leave it. Kate Fisher, thank you for joining us and bringing us the very latest from New Hampshire. That is it from us. My thanks to Kate, all our panellists tonight, from all the late team here. Good night and do take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.